folks, JLo's love does not cost a thing. And neither does our podcast. I am your co-host, Kiyoki. And I'm your co-host, Chloe. And together we will be navigating the world of literature for our English 101 class. We are currently running start students, which means that we're attending high school and college at the same time. And honestly, it's quite stressful, especially during this whole pandemic thing. I mean, I've, I'm so used to like actually going to school in class and having teachers and other peers to rely on whenever you need help. It's so crazy to me that I have to attend high school and college online. Of course, that may seem like, oh, well, it gives you a lot more free. You do things whenever you want, but at the same time, you don't get the same benefit of having people to rely on as you do in school in physical school exactly like i feel like watching a lecture on your computer isn't as helpful as being in person for a lecture especially with it being our first year of college because you can't actively ask questions you know speaking of college our teacher sure has an eccentric way of grading his assignments not to say that it's bad but it is definitely innovative and different than things I've seen in the past. I mean, I've never had a teacher not give me a letter-based grading on assignments. Same here. Especially because in order to get an A, you have to go above and beyond. Which I understand because there's some grading things that are like the highest level is that you went above and beyond or above standard. But I haven't seen that in classroom grades before I think it's kind of cool because he's teaching differently than most teachers yeah so to basically the dumbed down version would be that he's giving b's out as long as we do the work we're supposed to do and attend class regular regularly <laughs> and you know just do just do your work you you just for doing that you get a B, which is great, you know, it really benefits some students who usually, you know, struggle with academics, and it would definitely, you know, help motivate people like that, but, you know, since I am a 4.0 GPA genius, <laughs> I can't relate, but Chloe can. Oh, I definitely can, I'm a straight B student. Nothing wrong with that, though, not judging, but I guess I won't be seeing you at Harvard. But really, he's built this system where if you want to earn an A, you need to go above and beyond of what is required. And in theory, that seems to make sense. But, you know, in actuality, how well does that actually work? I mean, we already have to deal with like high school assignments. And then to add on top of that, we have college and we also work part time. And it's just everything is done much more independently during this pandemic era. And it really does not give us time to enjoy ourselves. And if we have to do extra work to earn the grade that we want, like, seems so stressful. I feel like it just adds more stress to what we already have. We probably sound so spoiled right now. (laughs) People are probably like, oh my god, first world problem. (laughs) In which I understand, but... It's just how I feel. You know, we're not going to get into that. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, the reason we're doing this podcast is for this class. Because we want to earn an A. And we, even though we're complaining, we are putting in the effort. 
That's very true. Thank you, Mr. Tower. Or sorry, Chris Tower. (laughs) Thank you, Chris, for the opportunity. Okay, but on a serious note, let's get into what we've been learning this week. One of our assignments that was due earlier in the week, as we're recording this, it's Wednesday evening. On Tuesday, we had our first journal due, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, how you go about writing it and the analysis behind it and everything. The story is called No One's a Mystery by Elizabeth Talent. And Kiyoki will read that for you really quick. Okay, guys. <laughs> well, I will read this to you and also provide some side commentary for you. Because, you know, life is fun that way. Okay. No One's a Mystery by Elizabeth Talent. For my 18th birthday, Jack gave me a five-year diary with a latch and a little key, light as a dime. I was sitting beside him scratching at the lock, which didn't seem to want to work. I wonder why. (laughs) When he thought he saw his wife's Cadillac in the distance. Oh, the tea! (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll keep reading it. Cadillac in the distance coming towards us. He pushed me down onto the dirty floor of the pickup and kept one hand on my head while I inhaled the musk of his cigarettes in the dashboard ashtray and sang along with Roseanne Cash on the tape deck. We'd been drinking tequila and the bottle was between his legs, resting up against his crotch, where the seam of his Levi's was bleached linen white, though the Levi's were nearly new. I don't know why, his Levi's were always bleached like that, along the seams and at the knees. In a curve of cloth, his zipper glinted gold. It's her, he said. She keeps the lights on in the daytime. I can't think of a single habit in a woman that irritates me more than that. When he saw that I was going to stay still, he took his hand from my head and ran it through his own dark hair. Why does she, I said. She thinks it's safer. Why does she need to be safer? She's driving exactly 55 miles an hour. She believes in those signs. Speed monitored by aircraft. It doesn't matter that you can look up and see that the sky is empty. She'll see your lips move, Jack. She'll know you're talking to someone. (laughs) She'll think I'm singing along with the radio. He didn't lift his hand, just raised the fingers in salute while the pressure of his palm steadied the wheel. And I heard the Cadillac honk twice, musically. He was driving easily 80 miles an hour. I studied his boots. The elk heads stitched into the leather <laughs> were bearded with frayed thread. The toes were scuffed, and there was a compact wedge of muddy manure. Manure? Manure? Manure. Manure. Sorry, English is my second language. Of muddy manure, be- manure <laughs> between the heel and the sole. The same boots he'd been wearing for the two, for the two years I'd know him. Man, that means I started, like, hooking up when she was 16. Ew. <laughs> On the tape deck, Roseanne Cash sang, Nobody's into me. No one's a mystery. Do you think she's getting famous because of who her daddy is? Or for herself, Jack said. There are about a hundred pop tops on the floor. Did you know that? Some little kid could cut a barefoot on one of these, Jack. No little kids get into this truck except for you. How come you let it get so dirty? How come, he mocked. You even sound like a kid. You can get back into the seat now if you want. She's not going to look over her shoulder and see you. How do you know? I just know, he said. Like I know I'm going to get meatloaf for supper. (laughs) It's in the air. Like I know what you'll be writing in that diary. 
What will I be writing? I knelt on my side of the seat and craned around to look at the butterfly of dust printed on my jeans. Outside the window, Wyoming was dazzling in the heat. The wheat was fawn and yellow and parted smoothly by the thin dirt road. I could smell the water in the irrigation ditches hidden in the wheat. Tonight, you'll write, I love Jack. This is my birthday present from him. I can't imagine loving anybody else more than I love Jack. I can't. In a year, you'll write, I wonder what I ev what I ever really saw in Jack. I wonder why I spent so many days just riding around in his pickup. It's true, he taught me something about sex. It's true, there wasn't ever much else to do in Cheyenne. I won't write that. In two years, you'll write. I wonder what that old guy's name was. The one with the curly hair and the filthy, dirty pickup truck and time on his hands. I won't write that. No? Tonight, I'll write. I love Jack. This is my birthday present from him. I can't imagine loving anybody more than I love Jack. No, you can't, he said. You can't imagine it. In a year, I'll write. Jack should be home any minute now. The table's set. My grandmother's linen and her old silverware and yellow candles left over from the wedding. But I don't know if I can wait until after the trout at La Navarra to make love to him. It must, been a, it must have been a fast divorce in two years all right jack said be home jack said man dude i cannot read in two years i'll write jack should be home by now little jack is hungry for his supper he said his first word today besides mama and papa he said caca <laughs> jack laughed he was probably trying to finger paint with caca on the bathroom wall when you heard him say it in three years all right my nipples are a little sore from nursing eliza rosamund Rosamond? Every little girl should have a middle name she hates. Her breath smells like vanilla, and her eyes are just Jack's color of blue. That's nice, Jack said. So which one do you like? I like yours, he said. But I believe mine. It doesn't matter. I believe mine. Not in your heart of hearts, you don't. You're wrong. I'm not wrong, he said. And her breath would smell like your milk, and it's kind of a, a bittersweet smell, if you want to know the truth. So, to summarize the story, um, the narrator is the mistress from Jack and his wife's marriage. And they drive past, they drive past Jack's wife and Jack is having to hide her because obviously the wife does not know. And Jack gave the narrator a journal for her birthday and they were talking about what she would write in it and jack has this belief that the narrator and jack won't last at all um and the narrator believes that they'll last forever and that they'll live happily ever after basically yeah it's it's really a bittersweet story <laughs> kind of ironic because that's how the phrase ends you know Jack stating that the narrator's, you know, breast tastes like bittersweet. And it has a lot of symbolism throughout the story, that's for sure. I obviously can't even begin to comprehend half of it, but I can try my best and try to tell you what I think of it. I mean, first of all, you know, she is, the narrator is fairly young. I mean, she's an unnamed woman. Well, I mean, I'd probably call her a girl. She just turned 18, you know, and yeah. she, you know, throughout the poem, she expresses her love for Jack and she describes what she sees 
and our amazing Professor Tower, as he said, stated in his video analyzing this story, he said, the author does more, a lot more of showing what they're doing rather than telling us what they're doing. Which I think is a pretty good way to put it. I mean, you know, typically in stories you see authors saying like, he is running, he is wearing red, you know? But rather in, in this story we see the narrator actually just telling us what she sees, what what she's doing in the moment as she's making, you know, as she's committing the act. And truly there's so many things to unpack, to unpack here. I mean, you know, the the intricate work of detail that it has been put into this tale I mean it's it's incredible really and you know I really wish I understood I understood all of it because I really don't and but that's okay because you know oftentimes you know people are you know are mocked or reprimanded for not for not understanding works of art but come on dude nobody understands Shakespeare let's be honest here (laughs) that's definitely true but I just want to say that I, it is it is a really you know beautiful story. It is you know it's just not necessarily in that in which the plot you know is the most epic or you know not not necessarily beautiful in which it is a nice happy story, but more towards the fact that it's just you know the way it's written and the way it's described to the reader. The you know one can truly perceive what is going on. One can understand. You know, I can I can picture myself, you know, being in that pickup truck, you know, seeing as the wife drives by, you know, speaking to Jack and, you know, from the narrator's perspective, that is, you know, it is quite unfortunate that she she has to watch as the man that she loves, his wife drives by and having to hide and be pushed away. And it's so sad that, you know, she considers this relationship to be what love is, you know. For her to want a future with a man, you know, a married man who clearly doesn't want her. But, you know, she's looking at it through rose-colored glasses. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, it's really, it's truly tragic. Um, Girls, know your worth. Period. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean... I feel like we've been rambling and not truly not have said anything, but I, I apologize for that. But I, I'm really trying to get to the point here. In the beginning, we see her talking about how he gave her a diary that was worth five years of pages. And it had a little lock on it. And she had the little key. And it had a lock on it and it had a little key. And she, the narrator was trying to open up the lock with her key, but for some reason it didn't want to work and I feel like that is kind of like foreshadowing into you know later on in the story when we realize that this relationship isn't going to work out I mean it's you know there's this diary and it's filled with pages that could potentially store memories of the next five years of her relationship but she can't get it to open you know it's like that chapter in her life won't open for you know it's not meant to be it's like it's just not going to happen. I don't know if I make sense, but yeah. What do you think, Chloe? I definitely agree with that because if she couldn't even open up the journal to write what she wanted to write, 
that it obviously wouldn't happen because she was wanting to write about how they were going to live happily ever after and live this amazing life and have children and everything. And I feel like he was kind of the lock, locking away the journal because he was saying, oh, you're going to forget about me and it's just not going to work out between us. I feel like it was a not very good relationship. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We even see Jack speaking very badly of his wife, you know, behind her back, and just his attitude towards her overall, you know, explaining how irritated he is by her and how you know, she does things that he does not comprehend and just how complaining how predictable she is. When in reality, I think it's ironic that he complains about her predictability but he himself is fairly predictable. I mean, rather than being wishful and hopeful for the future, he, you know, he's willing to just remain where he is right now, stay stay grounded in his own reality, and just say that, you know, things will never get better for their relationship. He, you know, he sees no future with them, and he would rather keep going on this route of endless predictability and redundance and yeah it's really it's really i i think it's kind of funny really when you when you see it that way one of the other parts that we had to write about in our journal for this story was what we believed was meant by no one's a mystery which is the title of it and I believe the title was kind of referencing how Jack believes no one's a mystery because he's like trying to predict how the future will be and that if he just stays the same that he's not a mystery because he knows what's going to happen if he just stays where he's at and not go any further with the narrator or not get divorced just stay married to his wife and keep having an affair with her. Yeah, I I agree with you on for the most part on that. I would like to add on though that no one uh, is a mystery could also it, you know it also refers to the way the you know each character's personality is revealed as they speak and throughout the tale. You know, it's so easy to tell what type of person they are by simply listening to the details of what they say. I mean, he goes on to say that you know, he predicts his future alongside his mistress and he says that after a year, their relationship would be over, and after two years, she would have forgotten about him. And it's just, you know, it just goes on to show how how he views the world. It's just so unoptimistic and just so tragic, the way he sees no color, you know, no color, no, color, no positivity. He, have, he just doesn't seem to have hope at all. And on the other side, we see the narrator having this whimsical view of the world as she predicts, you know, being married to him and possibly having a son and a daughter with him, you know, hoping that one day she'll be breastfeeding their daughter and that her breath would smell like vanilla, you know, because when you're when when you're young and you think of your future, you think you want to think happy things, happy thoughts you know you want to think everything's going to be sweet and vanilla is definitely you know something that is sweet 
And, however, on the contrary, you know, Jack goes on to say it's that it's actually bittersweet. And, which is very, you know, these are very, I guess, like, contradictory personalities. You know, like, Vanilla is definitely not bittersweet. It is, you know, it is very savory and, you know, just soft and <laughs> vanilla-y, you know, and then bittersweet, you'd imagine something quite different. Like a not quite ripe blackberry. It's That's an oddly specific it's... example, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> not quite ripe blackberry. Yes. Um, I don't know that's why that why that's what I thought of. It's nice to eat because it's a blackberry, but at the same time, it's still sour and kind of brings you back to the reality that's not perfect. You know what? I actually, growing up, before I moved to Kelso, um, we lived in, I lived in this duplex with my cousins and aunts and my family lived there and we all lived together. We had recently moved to Washington, so we went to live with my aunt for a few months and our backyard was full of blackberry bushes and it was like the coolest thing ever and the people who lived on the other part of the duplex, they... When their son was a teenager and I was like maybe like seven or eight years old no like six or seven yeah and he made a cave in the bushes like he grabbed a stick and he would like you know he worked in it and he literally made a cave in the thorn bushes you know but yeah just bittersweet it is it is it really ties into so many other factors you know for me personally blackberries have always been a reminder of my childhood you know, the nostalgia, melancholy. Anyways, let's not get caught up in the endless death of the misery of nostalgia. <laughs> Anyways, um, to summarize what our thoughts are, I personally consider this story to be very insightful and, you know, very good with detail. And I I think it is a short little tale that, you know, says more than maybe an a hundred of a hundred page essay would say. I definitely agree with that. Another story we read about was actually an article um called A Man Who Cooks. We won't be reading this to you, but um we can briefly explain what it's about. It's basically this article and it's this man, you know, describing his experiences with cooking and explaining the association of you know, being in the kitchen with femininity and why men don't seem to want to cook. Which, you know, I think as, you know, as my generation is up and coming and, you know, shaping the future, um, I am a big fan of expressing femininity and masculinity, not being afraid to, to, to express yourself. And, you know, I am definitely in favor of expressing yourself however you want, be it feminine or masculine, which I think are honestly very annoying terms nowadays. Because what makes something feminine? Why why makes something masculine? Why is it that we're so stuck in these gender roles? And, you know, why is it so... It's like scripted into our brains that men go to work while women stay home cook and clean which is absolutely ridiculous because 
women are smarter than men. Duh. (laughs) I definitely thought reading about how feminine cooking and baking is, I found it really strange because I grew up in a household where my dad always cooked dinner. Both of my parents can cook very, very well. My dad was always the one who came home after work and cooked dinner. He would bake sometimes too. He's not the biggest of bakers though. It's just not his style. So reading about how feminine cooking is and how it's something that men only do if they put all this hard work into it and use like a ton of meat and alcohol in it. I thought it was really strange because my dad doesn't cook like that very often. He cooks delicate foods a lot of times. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you. I mean, growing up as, you know, as a part of a Hispanic household, um, there are definitely a lot of gender roles, but, you know, my parents, they operate definitely. They, my mom has always been an in, a very independent woman, and my father has always embraced that, and he's always encouraged her, and they both, you know, cook. They both cook, and in fact, sometimes, most of the time, it's my dad who's cooking, And there's nothing wrong with that. That does not make him any less masculine. You know, I think it's definitely important to be confident enough in your femininity or masculinity to the point where you can express the opposite of that. You know, it's very sad to see that homophobia and things like that are really... And you know, it's really sad to see homophobia being present in our everyday lives, whether we want to recognize it or not. And oftentimes, if you see a boy, you always hear comments that if a boy wears a dress or if a boy wears a certain outfit, it's it's gay, you know? And the fact that people use the word gay as an insult is even more frustrating because there is nothing wrong with being gay. Honestly, like, why use it as an insult? It's like saying, oh, you're blonde. Why is that an insult? <laughs> like, uh, why? Like, man. It definitely shouldn't be, though. It definitely shouldn't be an in- insult. And I don't understand why people associate feminine behavior with being gay. You know? In fact, I think it shows more about the person saying these rude comments than about the actual person the comments are about. Exactly. Or if a woman is acting more in air quotes, masculine, that they're believed to be lesbian. I think that's just absurd. It is so ridiculous. Like, can we just all be however we want to be, whatever we want to do, and just, you know, love each other? What is the big deal with that, honestly? And it is just so instilled into our brain, this patriarchal system where men are the head of the family and the women are the subordinates, which, ugh, not me, (laughs) no, (laughs) not me, (laughs) but yeah, it, it all goes back to gender roles and what is associated with each gender, like the color pink is associated with girls, the color blue is associated with boys, but why is that? Why does a color have a gender? Why does an item of clothing have a gender? Why does why does a hairstyle have a gender? Why is it that, you know, having longer hair is considered to be something that belongs to girls and having shorter hair is something that 
you know, belongs to boys. I've never questioned it until now, you know, growing up on social media, especially TikTok. And Chris, if you're watching this, check out TikTok. <laughs> um, you see a lot of these, you know, these questions, people questioning these gender norms, these things that have never been questioned before. And it really gets my brain wheels reeling or wheeling <laughs> whatever whatever it's called turning. to get really gets my <laughs> wheels turning but uh yeah um back to the article um <laughs> cooking is considered to be feminine and he talks about how even when men embrace cooking they tend to give it a masculine twist like a, you know include alcohol or or ingredients that would only be considered masculine drinking apparently is something only men do apparently (laughs) apparently you know um going into the wilderness and hunting is something only men do you know god forbid a woman does it (laughs) but but yeah and he goes on to explain how men would only cook and would ever really embrace cooking if it was something that was considered dangerous. Exactly. And or if they were, like, alone out in this building that's separate from the house, that there's nobody else, no women, no children in there, and they're just being as rough as they want, and then using a lot of meats, especially exotic meats, like alligator or something, and then they cook it and they eat it with just their bare hands being all air quotes again, masculine, I think it's absurd that someone would have to go to that extent just to not be judged by society. It It is really, it's really sad. And, you know, this, this mindset cannot be changed from one day to the next. This is, this has been instilled into our society for centuries now. And in order to overturn that, that sure would take more than my life, my lifetime, maybe, maybe even yours, if you're listening. And, you know, we got to start somewhere. And, you know, it's crazy to think that our nation has never had a female president. You know, even crazier to think, you know, we've only had a single person of color serve as president. Why is that? Why is it that, you know? It's just things that society was not does not want to recognize as you know, as things we need to change. People are so conform- conformed to the things that way to the way things are that they don't feel the need that things need to change. When in reality, they really do because it creates unfair circumstances and situations for all different races and genders and anything else that people can be picked apart because of, if that makes sense. Yeah, and focusing more on the topic of gender roles, I want to include an example that something that happened to me. Uh, I actually went to go apply for a job, and when I got there, um, my friend and I went together, and he happens to be a boy, and I asked for a job, 
And they told me they had absolutely no positions open. They had no job to give me. But then the employer turned and looked at my friend and went, Hey, we have a dishwasher position open for you. Would you like to take it? And I just stood there appalled at this. When a minute ago he had just told me there were no, no jobs. And I was confused as why he couldn't offer it to me. Is it because I'm a girl? Is it because I'm seen as delicate and not strong enough to do the duties of a dishwasher? Like, it may sound ridiculous, like, you know? Obviously, I'm a five-foot, like, 100-pound girl. Like, <laughs> But my point was, like, why couldn't he offer it to me? You know, I could, I could have politely declined. <laughs> but why is it that he didn't offer it to me when there was a job? Just maybe not for my gender. Exactly. Like, he doesn't know. Maybe you can bench, like, 500 pounds. Well, not actually 500. But I feel like the only thing that would separate a man from a woman if you're going by society's ideals is that a man might be more muscular. But you don't know that. Because the guy could be a twig and the girl could be, like, strong. Like, very strong. And the job could still easily be offered to the guy because that's just how people who have traditional views would see it. That's how they would view it and think about it. It's like people have never seen Serena Williams. That woman is strong. She is beautiful and she is strong and she is confident. She is stronger than most men I know. Like, come on. And she is a woman. She, She truly is an inspiration. But besides the point, it's just, why can't people be a boy, be a man, and still express femininity? And why can't a girl or a woman be themselves and express masculinity at the same time? Just something to ponder on. Anyways... Um, To end on a positive note, nowadays on social media, we do see many influencers embracing this ideality of a balance between masculinity and femininity. I mean, artists like Bad Bunny, who's a Latin American artist, he constantly breaks gender roles. He wears skirts, he wears dresses, he, he wears nail polish on his fingernails. And even in a music video, he even was confident enough to dress in in an attire that typically only women would wear. And you know, to sh- in order and also to give a provide an example that is some of someone who's very very prominent in the United States, H- Harry Styles, he is extremely confident with his masculinity to the point where he's, you know, he's totally fine with wearing dresses i mean there's these you know he did a photo shoot where he wore a ballerina suit and he looked beautiful in it you know there and you know and all of this was not to be done to mock females but in fact to uplift them you know to to uplift how beautiful it is to be feminine to the point where men also want to partake in it you definitely see a lot of influencers on social media typically they're younger just because our generation is more willing to 
test the societal norms and you'll constantly see like girls wearing like big baggy clothes that maybe 20 30 years ago you wouldn't see women wearing because it was seen as men's clothing or even just wearing flannels used to only be a guy's thing and now everybody wears flannels or you'll see guys wearing crop tops and skirts and it just shows how much our generation is changing yep and that is it for today guys thank you so much for listening i really i we really do appreciate every single one of you that listen even if it only is a single viewer we really do appreciate you and thank you for taking time out of your day to just hear us out this was the podcast nobody asked for (laughs) with kiyoki and chloe